A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 188 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like the force to the Jedi, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan. P. Butler! Yes, I bind you and I penetrate you and... Oh, damn. That doesn't sound, any, <laughs> doesn't sound nearly as good um, when it's not Obi-Wan saying that. Uh, uh, hello there. Damn, Mark's even already done that one. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Greetings! <laughs> Greetings and salutations for those who love the Heathers. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we once again address your questions, your ponders, because once more, you are the star. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. And we swear this is the last of these in a row before we actually hit Aftermath. And we had so much feedback building up for a while that uh, we got a feedback show together and then realized we had quite a bit from a couple of people and one other audio one. So we thought we'd hit that in one and yeah, not so much. So last episode, you heard the feedback from Andrew Gilbertson and from Anthony Madden. And now you're getting a chance to hear uh, feedback that in this case is bite-sized, some of it audio, some of it not coming in from Jamie Glass, or Jameson Glass, someone who actually helps me on the Star Wars Timeline Gold by sending the Old Republic information, which unfortunately I haven't been able to fit in as often as I would like, just because of the sheer workload that I've got on other things right now. But uh, when you see the Old Republic information on the Star Wars Timeline Gold outside of my original summaries, most of it is stuff that he is pointing me towards to help me keep up with that since I'm not playing the game anymore. Um, before we get into these, though, very quickly, a couple of things that I should point out here. Um, to help us when it comes to these feedback episodes. I guess, um, one, if you would be so kind, if you are sending audio files, try to send those audio files as MP3s rather than WAV files. Uh, WAV works well enough, but generally they're going to be much larger, so you're going to have to break it up into smaller pieces. That's what Jamie's had to do. It works out fairly well because he's encapsulating his thoughts into each one. But if it's an MP3 file, it's just easier to mix together because it's all that one file to keep track of. Uh, also, if you are going to send in written feedback, please, 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 please use punctuation and paragraph breaks. Uh, we've got a couple of emails here that we're simply not going to be able to use because 
I don't see how I get through reading it when it's basically, if I put it in Word, probably two pages printed of a wall of text with almost no punctuation. I should not be having to translate babble into speaking. And there may be good points in it, but that is something that just, it, it puts a strain on our ability to record the episode in a timely fashion. So you're trying to say you don't speak fluent Babylon? Babylon, Babylonian. Um, I'm trying to say don't write like a reverse Chuck Wendig. He does sentence fragments. Don't make it all one giant run-on sentence. At some point, there should be a paragraph break in there somewhere and probably a period or two. Is that like a Flash reference, the reverse Wendig? No, actually, but wouldn't that be kind of an interesting, interesting story to tell, especially now that you got two Flashes on the show? But again... We digress a bit here. So this goes back actually for quite a while. Um, several bits and pieces. Quite a few short audio clips, usually only about a minute or so long with his thoughts, followed up by a few that are just standard feedback emails. We will hit them all here because we have been neglecting these for a while, hoping to hit them all in one episode. So, to start out, Jamie says, Hi guys. There's a lot here, so I'm recording an audio in order to help save Nathan's vocal cords because of the sheer amount of topics and length of material, considering that the typed version is roughly two and a half pages. Your podcast is great, and I enjoy making use of the timeline. I've recently been listening to a lot of old episodes, so please feel free to interrupt to answer any of these questions and or comments as you see fit. First off, a few short questions and comments. One, what are the pieces of Star Wars music that you use in the show? I recognize the Siege of Coruscant and a cantina piece from The Old Republic, as well as Lopty Neck. This is just one of those things that intrigues me. Two, I agree 100% with Nathan's comments on the approaching storm. I got it for a buck on my library's book sale shelf, and every time I try to start, I find myself not getting very far. Yeah, approaching storm is just, it's one of those that uh, you either love it or hate it, and I'm kind of in, in that negative camp because it just, it just never really captured my attention. But again, it's just one of the... I mean, remember, it's a book written specifically just to write off the Aborda Dispute on Ancyon line from Attack of the Clones, and they had to write an entire book around that. So, you know, I'm not sure what we should have expected, though I am kind of concerned that Alan Dean Foster is writing uh, more materials coming up, like the Force Awakens novelization, when his original novelization's Splinter of the Mind's Eye and The Approaching Storm, none of those have really been ones that have excited me, per se. As for the music, I have no idea. Mark, what is the music that we use here with the show? Well, so with that, uh, the first one starts off, it's got Riley kind of kicking it off. Uh, that is actually part of uh, Cello Wars by the Piano Brothers, I believe, is uh, the guys that, that put that one together. I took a clip of that, and we I kind of looped it around a bit and stuff. Uh, that's when we do the introductions. So after that, we go into uh, the Old Republic Siege of Alderaan. Uh, and then when we get towards the end, that is uh, the, the Lodnuk, or however you say it. Uh, but it's a version of it because there are two different versions of that song that I found and it took me a while to find the one that we're using because Riley had sent me the file. I'd used it on an episode and then the file I had wasn't the same one. So I had to hunt down the version of that file. So I think we are using the original theatrical version of that song, uh, but it's slightly different than one of the other versions. And then uh, we also have Average Brown Wookiee, uh, which is the blooper reel once we go into the bloopers when that goes long. I loop that a few times and stuff like that. Um, so you'll notice like when you're listening every once in a while, depending on 
you know, how much we're talking at the beginning of an episode or towards the end of the episode, you might hear the song kind of skip a second and kind of recontinue. That's just me lengthening the song to make it fit. Um, things of that nature. But yeah, those are the, the main three songs or so that we're using on that. Uh, as for approaching storm, all I can say on that one was, yeah, that was an odd book. Uh, if I remember right, that was the book with Django Tat, the clone, and some really odd moments. I could be wrong. There's a few of them there be, that kind of blur. That can be Django Tat and the Approaching Storm. Approaching Storm is before A New Hope. You're right. That's I'm thinking of the Setus Deception or whatever the heck that one is. I get those books so confused. It must be because I read them around the same time. I suppose so. You know, I, I got to say, though, when we're using Lepty Neck, I have, it's funny because now that I'm hearing it, I immediately think of Cy Snoodles in the Clone Wars and how she was not as she appeared. Uh, and... With so many times of seeing back in the day, back when I didn't own A New Hope, back when my parents had taped off of HBO, Empire Jedi and Making of a Saga, uh, and I would watch those almost like a trilogy, I can't hear Lefty Neck without thinking, shaping up and working out, the English <laughs> lyrics to it, uh, which is just weird. Although I still would rather have that version of the Jabba's Palace musical number than the one of the special editions that I feel just went way over the top. I'm with you on that one, my friend. Three. I'll enjoy watching the films on occasion, but very, very rarely. I find them almost a bit boring now. I actually much prefer the novels, video games, and comics much, much more. Is it okay not to enjoy the films? I'll still probably watch The Force Awakens in theaters, if nothing else to say that I've seen a Star Wars film in theaters. One thing I do find amusing with the canon announcement last year is the irony that the film purists can't say that books and comics don't count anymore. You know, this is going to be taboo, but I'm with you on that about the films, my man. Um, I find anymore when it comes to Star Wars in general, and it started with the films, I watched the hell out of them. Then I watched them some more, and then I watched them some more, and I got to a point where... I think it started with the OT where I started to feel bored. And then I got to the point where I was jumping to my favorite scenes. And then when the prequels and stuff were doing their things, I, it was kind of the same where I found that with Star Wars in general, I have my favorite moments and then I have moments that I don't care for. Um, and, and that applies equally to the books and to the comics. Uh, so it, it basically became the way I standardize all my star Wars, you know, I, I recognize that there's going to be things in it that I don't like and stuff. Um, so there are moments in all of the films where I find myself bored as heck. Um, when I'm watching, you know, a new hope, I, I, I get a kick out of the very first moment when Vader gets on the ship. And then when Leia's doing all her stuff until the droids have been lost and Ben shows up, I find that section kind of really boring for me. I kind of skip ahead to there. Uh, you know, when I'm watching empire strikes back, there's some of the middle part that I really I, I find boring. When I get to re, uh, Return of the Jedi, I really don't care for any uh, – all the way up until Fett's in the Sarlacc. I, I really don't I, – I find it boring. I, I don't enjoy that part at all. Uh, and so I, I jump around there, and I do the same thing with the prequels. They're just whole swaths that I just jump past, and I jump to my favorite scenes. And I just I just come to associate that with my fandom. I mean, there's just aspects yeah. that I don't care for, and I I try not to dwell on them more. I just kind of focus on the stuff I like and just go from there and just bounce around. So you know, it's funny because I I watched the heck out of them when I was a kid, and I would be playing with the toys, and you know, I was one of those Star Wars peers. I'm going to play with just my Star Wars toys now. Screw Masters of the Universe and so forth. Um, though I would usually take so long setting up to play and getting all of the toys out that I would barely have time to actually play. Uh, Ooh, real was, life struggles oh, yeah. right there. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm so distracted by watching the films and all. Um, 
And then for a while there, I was watching A New Hope quite often because I didn't have it when I was a kid. And then eventually, of course, the prequels came out. And it was odd because with the prequels, I watched it. And I guess confession here. uh, I was sent bootleg copies uh, of camcordered episode one, and I think episode two. Uh, or a friend of mine was, and I got a chance to see them, I guess it was. And it was interesting because I watched the heck out of them like that. And then when they came out on home video, I watched them a couple times and then they sat for a while because I'd seen it so many times, either in theaters or on that really grainy, hard to watch version. Um, and I guess for quite a while there, I wasn't watching them very often. And then they hit Blu-ray. And for whatever reason, the sound, the visual quality of watching the films now has been heightened so much from trying to watch it on those old VHS tapes or even on DVD uh, with the setup that I have here that I tend to watch them more often. And when I'm watching them, these films that I thought that I could virtually recite, I'm running into things I realized I didn't notice before. Either small changes of facial expression that I didn't notice that are, that are a little more subtle acting, things happening in the background. I noticed... I forget where it was. There's a line where Han Solo says, oh no, but in sort of a, a way where it's either bad acting or he's not really meaning, oh no, he's just kind of being sarcastic in Empire that I never realized was even in the movie until literally a few days ago. So it, it's cool now. I'm almost able to see them with fresh eyes. I do tend to skip around a little bit when I'm watching, but it depends on the amount of time I have to watch. I really love watching the high-intensity battle sequences and such on Blu-ray now with the new uh, remastering and everything to make it high definition. I would say, too, that there are some points that I feel like the films are dragging, so when I'm watching them, I'm sort of waiting to get past those points. But I think that's something that Star Wars has always had when it came to pacing. The Star Wars films always have these bursts of action and then these lulls in the action that need to develop the story a little bit more before something else can happen. Um, but on the other hand, sometimes they have battle sequences or, or action sequences. They drag out a bit too much. I'm one of those who thinks the pod race, for instance, was a little too long or the chase in episode two of chasing down Zam uh, as they're going through traffic a little long. Uh, but I think that we're at a point now where if you haven't taken the time to check it out in high definition, maybe now's the time to do so because it could reignite things. I know that I find it such a an improved experience that it's drawn me back into watching them much more often than I had before. Now what I want to do personally is at some point get myself a Laserdisc player, get myself a CED player, and maybe even a Betamax player, find a way to hook them up and actually be able to go in and digitize and watch some of these home video versions that I've got now as part of my collection that I feature on From the Star Wars Home Video Library on YouTube. And actually, you know, watch them. Because there are things in my collection I've never been able to watch because I've never owned those players. Mm, yeah, that and that's a rough one too. Nothing like going out and getting a video game or, you know, like Galaxies and the jump to hyperspace and having a computer that can never run it. But I bought the game anyway. <sighs> oh, that that is why I will never be a PC gamer ever again. Give me a console where I know that what I'm going to play is supposed to work. Although, interestingly, I actually own a copy of Star Wars Galaxies that I never played. Because a friend of mine got it, played it, got this like big collector's edition version of it, and when she was done playing it, didn't really care for it anymore, and just gave me the box with all the different goodies and stuff inside it. Uh, with just the fact that I wouldn't be able to activate the game because she'd already used the code or whatever it was 
for it. So I've got a, a limited edition, whatever it is, copy of the original Star Wars Galaxies that has never been in my computer at all. <laughs> See, I, I've, yeah, that's me. Both mine never went in the computer either. I bought them and I was just like <laughs> going through the book. Like, is there any cool details here? I just spent 45 bucks. There better be something. Yeah, I was that lame. I guess that is one good thing about some of the the mobile games and microtransactions now. If you were to download Star Wars Uprising like I did on my iPad and find that it doesn't work because my iPad is too old, I didn't just waste money because the money comes in if you do the microtransactions later. Oh. Four. A while back, I read through the novel timeline starting with the X-Wing novels. The last book I finished before I got bogged down and lost interest was Children of the Jedi. Children of the Jedi is notable for introducing the Eye of Palpatine, Callista, and the planet Belsavis, which appeared again in Star Wars The Old Republic, and is an awesome planet to explore as it has snow and ice, tropical jungles and lakes, and my favorite, Rakatan ruins. Anyway, Children of the Jedi was very slow, but the premise is interesting. It took me a while to get through it, because although I had to find out what happened next, especially with Raganda, it just dragged the whole way. I can very easily see why everyone says to steer clear of the Callista books. Though, on a side note, I do remember enjoying Darksaber once I got into it. That just took a while. Yeah, I remember Children of the Jedi. I don't remember getting heavily into it, though I was intrigued by the Callista character. Kind of wish they had done more with her at some point. Um, But (laughs) what really still sticks in my mind, every single time that I think about Children of the Jedi and uh, Irek, Ismarin, and all, is this idea of Palpatine having a bunch of love children out there. And it just, it's kind of a creepy thing. You're wondering, so did they start having the love children before or after he became creaky, creepy, wrinkly Palpatine? Uh, or was it a time when maybe he still had some looks and these women were flocking to him for in, in that regard? <laughs> and I'm wondering, you know, I'm waiting for that Game of Thrones Kind of moment where Irek Ismarin is just like, in the Emperor's eyes, all Ismarins are bastards. <laughs> oh, man. All I'm thinking of is just so inappropriate right now. Like, <laughs> they talk about George Lucas doing something to people's childhoods. I mean, <laughs> there's no way somebody had to have been <laughs> embracing Palpatine with open, loving arms. Oh, no, no. That's a face not even a mama could love. (laughs) Now, now, Donald Trump. Um, But but think about it this way. He is all wrinkly and bent over and and whatnot. But maybe when he gets excited, he straightens out. Oh, 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 my bad. My bad. Did we just dip into into non-clean territory? I just meant his posture, (laughs) damn it. The thing about Children of the Jedi, I one of the things that leapt out to me when I read that book was Palpatine's two of everything. You know, the two eyes of Palpatine, and we had the two Death Stars. We, you know, it became like that book was the central idea that hey, Palpatine has two of everything. Remember the eye of Palpatine? He doesn't have just one eye; he's got two. Uh, then there was the aspect of the use of the spirit transfer. Uh, Callista had put herself into the computer and then was able to take over the other Jedi Knight and transform her body. Uh, you know, it was kind of like her body became Play-Doh. <laughs> and Callista 
reformed it somehow. Uh, and then there was the trooper indoctrinations of the Eye of Palpatine. It was going around collecting up people and basically brainwashing them into thinking that they were stormtroopers, uh, you know, given the, the full wash indoctrination. Uh, and then the aspect, you know, Nathan, you touched on it, you know, with Eric and all them and the, and the kids that eventually came out of it. And when the new Jedi Order used Eric to become Lord Nyax, which when the new Jedi order did that, I, I felt like it gave children of the Jedi some more gravity, you know, made it more of a book that mattered a little bit more, not like it really mattered that much at all, but it gave it some gravitas. I just, I, I, I always found the whole transfer of the spirit into the machine, whole ghost in the machine concept to be interesting when it was taken to that literal degree within star Wars. I that book has a lot of odd concepts in it that were interesting to consider that never really got ran with all that much. But in the end, what really still kind of creeps me out, aside from obviously the whole, you know, the Palpatine thing that I was joking about a little bit there, um, it's the fact that, okay, Callista's spirit goes into the body of one of, it, it, it's Callista Ming and Cray yeah. Mingla. And Callista's spirit goes into Cray's body. And it just still wigs me out a little bit, this idea that Luke was okay with this and goes on to still have that relationship with her. Because I guess the idea is it's what's inside that counts, not what's on the outside. But I don't know. If my wife's brain got transplanted into the body of one of my students, I still think I'd feel like I was banging my student and it would be wrong. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, and that was the aspect of they made her physical form change as part of the process. Kind of like she went into a cocoon and came out a butterfly, which also leads into that aspect of like, Luke, you're allowing one of your students to sacrifice themselves and become this other individual. Yeah. There was, there was some definite moral questions that Leia should have stopped Luke and said, wait, you did what? <laughs> oh, it does kind of, it does fit thematically though, because of course when Palpatine was using the dark side so much in the clone bodies, as we were originally told within the legends continuity before that all got changed around and such, was the idea that using the force was affecting him physically. So this made sense from a light side standpoint of the force affecting the body physically to better match Callista. Um, I think it was just eye color was the main thing that changed as I recall. But yeah, it's, yeah, I thought it's it was eye board. color and hair, but, and then there was also the aspect that, and then they played with it later, but that, Callista couldn't touch the force like mm -hmm. she could before. She could only really access the dark side. And that too was an angle that was, was weird. Um, and I don't even know if that angle really even played well with everything going on in the expanded universe, because like, you know, Palpatine never had a problem like that. Well, but then again, he was embracing the dark side. So maybe that was it, but that was definitely a concept that I kind of wish they would have touched on more or talked about more or come across a technique that made uh, sense out of what happened, you know, where Luke's like, Oh, that's what went on with Callista. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, when they finally brought her plot to an end uh, with Ableth and everything, like, again, it was a nice touch. It gave more relevance to the children of Jedi story. Because that, that story did, in a lot of ways, feel like it was thrown out, especially once Callista was the love interest tossed aside and Mara was the main one that they decided to focus on. Uh, you know, there was that camp at one point where people really wanted Callista to be the one. Uh, then there was those camps uh, of, I can't remember the, the girl's name in the uh, Trusa Bakura, but there was the, I think her name was also close to Callista or something Gariel. like that. Gary Captison. 
Yes, there you go. Yeah, she was another one. They, they had different shippers, you know, wanting the different characters. I, unfortunately, I was always a Mara fan. I mean, I guess that's fortunate if you also were a Mara fan. But if you were hoping that Callista was the one, then it was unfortunate because I was rooting for Mara. And I think we can all agree that the physical changes undergone by the student to become Callista still make more sense than Rogue getting the white streak of hair in the first X-Men movie. <laughs> Five. In old episodes, often in feedback episodes... You guys mentioned all the crap that came with the release of Episode 1. I can still remember going to the store and seeing Episode 1 ads on Pepsi products. Usually it was Sidious or Amidala on the cans and the packaging. Yeah, the marketing campaign for The Phantom Menace was pretty ridiculous in many cases. I still love uh, Marfa Lump, but I can't remember if that was... Marfa Lump's commercials were from Episode 1 or from the... Uh, the special editions. I think it was, yeah, it was from episode one because he does the whole, that is wizard in one of the commercials. Marfa Lump was cool. Uh, if you don't know who that is, look him up. And I guess the creepiest thing I found for that era was, wasn't there a Jar Jar sucker where it was basically yes. Jar Jar's mouth open and the yes. tongue was the sucker? Yes. Yes, there was. That is still to this day the weirdest damn what the hell were you thinking? I, I guess for me, like that whole flood of marketing materials, I'm going to be more curious in the next 10 years if episode one's marketing was more off the hook than episode seven's because right now with disney having the ball it seems like everything has become star wars themed and while i don't necessarily know if that's a problem i wonder how that's going to affect perceptions in the long run i don't know so far i think that they're a little more tame right now than episode one was but yeah we'll we'll see after the next few months second the New Sith Wars. For this thousand-year period, we currently have Knight Errant, Darth Bane, and a scattering of source material. On top of that, except for the source material, essential guides mostly, the bulk of stories occur within a 35-year period. My questions here are many. What happened between the end of the Knight Errant comics and the formation of the Brotherhood of Darkness? Where are all the stories detailing Darth Ruin's rise and fall? Belia Darzu and her techno beast that we were given hints about in Rule of Two. Where are the other stories filling this area? I want to say most of this stuff comes from the Wizards of the Coast era. Nate, you're probably going to have more of the locked in on that. But I remember the stuff I was reading from Darth Ruin and stuff was actually, I was finding it from the Wizards of the Coast RPG site before they took all that stuff down. There's bits and pieces that fill in there. Ruin really didn't get much play except at Darth, you know, Ruin slash fan, I guess, that creates uh, the new Sith Order and all that in Legends. Uh, that stuff, I mean, really wasn't touched on all that much outside of guidebooks, it seems. But to me, at least, as many unanswered questions as there are in that era of conflict with the Sith, at least that one has an ending with the Battle of Rusan and everything that comes out of that leading up to the films. I still want to know the transition out of the Old Republic, the Great Galactic War and all that, leading into, you know, eventually the New Sith Wars, and that, or not New Sith Wars, but the war with Darth Ruin and, and so forth, because... All these other eras in which we see Jedi versus Sith, there is an ending to to make sense of why that conflict didn't keep going and then how eras changed. But since the Old Republic MMO is still going, one of the few things in Legends that is still going, we still don't know how that wraps up and somehow leads into later eras. Right now, it is an ongoing conflict with no resolution. That's what I'm most curious about rather than the other, because at least the other gives us some measure of closure. Yeah. Heck, you want a video game in which Jedi fight Sith and Sith fight Sith? There you go. 
In your zombie episode, you mentioned that Red Harvest was placed in the Tor era, mainly because of the fact that there's an era where you have Sith in abundance and can have an isolated planet full of Sith. The new Sith Wars could be an even better placement for this. Especially given the state of the galaxy that you find in Knight Errant, where the pockets of Sith are completely isolated from the Republic and each other. In my mind, that would make an optimal place for Red Harvest. Anyway, I'll leave it at that as I've got more topics to get to. I agree, you could put the stories in there as well, although, of course, at the time, part of putting it in the Old Republic, aside from just the setting fitting, was the fact that they were heavily promoting the Old Republic and putting out those other novels with the Old Republic label on it. I'm kind of surprised that Red Harvest didn't get the label. You know, I would love to see a Red Harvest video game. I mean, I how cool would that be to send in a Jedi cleanup team to, to slay the zombies? Like, you know, we were looking to find out what happened to the one Jedi and his sister. And uh, what we discovered was that the planet's been infested with this weird plague. And we've got to wipe this out. This could be the next rat ghoul plague. we got to stop this from happening. Like, that would be such a fun little bonus level. I'm thinking of cranberries. What's in your head? What's in your head? Zombie, zombie. Except in this case... <laughs> They could be carrying a lightsaber. It could be what's in your hand. <laughs> Third, who would make a better Thrawn if Thrawn were brought to the big screen, or small screen for that matter? My two candidates are Hugo Weaving, Elrond, the Red Skull, the guy from The Matrix, and Benedict Cumberpatch, Sherlock, Smog, and Khan from Star Trek Into Darkness. I'd just like to see what you guys think on this. I am 100% in your camp. Those are my two uh, choices. In fact, Hugo was was my first choice, and then Cumberbatch was just, you know, he knocked him out. I, I would go Cumberbatch in a heartbeat. When I think of Thrawn, that's who I think of. And I've seen some great little internet memes where they've blue skin and red-eyed him, and, and he looks the part, man. I think th- both of those would be very good for it. I don't know that I have anybody who would be on a short list for me because I haven't really thought about it all that much, doing the casting of... The fictional characters. I used to love when they did that in Inquest magazine and stuff like that, but it's been a long time since I've actually looked into it myself. Um, I almost would rather it be someone who is entirely unknown, but who has that kind of gravitas. But I think with Weaving and Cumberbatch, the gravitas has been earned elsewhere, and they can just bring it in without having to earn it within the film itself. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to that whole question of, well, do you use recognized actors and actresses, or do you use those who aren't? Because, you know... Hamill and Fisher weren't really well known. Now we got Boyega and uh, uh, Ridley and Isaacs, although Isaacs to, to a greater extent is known out of those three. Um, they're really kind of going back to the unknowns to lend it that type of, you know, these are the characters. This is how you are meeting them. And I'm not sure how well having the established actors really made much of a difference in the prequel trilogy. Natalie Portman, Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, uh, we had instances where they had some good performances out of those actors and actresses, but I'm not sure if that made a difference over them being unknowns and known actors. You know, I'm not sure how much the audience had that much of a di- of a reaction, but I know that a lot of times when I watch The Phantom Menace, it takes me a moment to think of them as Qui-Gon and Padme rather than Liam Neeson and Natalie Portman, although that was never really the issue for me for Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor because he gets that character uh, blend so well going into Alec Guinness. See, I think of of those, I would think that Liam Neeson would be the one that really pulled it off. You know, it was like he seemed to have that, you know, established role in him moving into the character. I felt like it brought some nobility to it. Um, You know, when you think of like like Liam Neeson, (laughs) no. 
When you think of Ewan McGregor, all I could think of before that was Train Spotting. You know, there wasn't very many movies out there. Like he was like the somewhat known. So, so I think of Oscar Isaac's kind of like him in that regard. Whereas like Andy Serkis has the Liam Neeson feel, you know. Um, but see, I, I, like the idea of using some well-known actors, you know, don't load the deck, but having some of them around is great. Like, like, uh, Alan Tyrdick, I, I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong, but, uh, from Firefly, uh, he's going to be in Rogue One. I totally didn't even catch that. And I was just like, Oh man, I'm so excited to find that out. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I think there's a trade-off. Like, it's nice to have the characters or these actors that you've never heard of before, but it is also nice to take some, of the well-known actors, you know, your Samuel L. Jackson's and your Liam Neeson's, and then take some of your, you know, Ewan McGregor's and your, you know, other characters that people have, have seen in other roles and stuff, but they haven't had big presence yet. You know, give them their, their breakout roles. Fourth, on the subject of audiobooks. First, what are your thoughts on the abridged versus unabridged debate? I'll take unabridged any day. Is it cheaper to abridge an audiobook, or does abridging an audiobook stem from when they had to fit it onto two cassette tapes? I remember that the early New Jedi Order books were stuck on two tapes, and that most Star Wars novels were abridged up until partway through 2008. Examples of abridged audiobooks include the Middle Force Heretic novel being three discs and featuring only the Bakura half of the book and completely omitting the sections in Chiss space. Second, do you prefer having a physical disc for your audiobook or digital download? The Darth Bane novels that were finally put on audio are only available as a digital download and for the same price as the CDs, if I remember correctly. If I actually bought the audiobooks, I wouldn't be too concerned, but as I get all my audiobooks through my library, that presents a problem. Oh, when it comes to the audiobooks, yes, I have an opinion on that one. Abridged sucks. You do not want abridged. If you can avoid abridged, always avoid abridged. Uh, and yeah, there was a theme going on there at some point. I would say it had to do with the discs. Uh, digital hadn't really come full swing yet. Currently for me, I'm doing audible. So everything's digital. I'd rather go digital. Uh, most of the, the discs I have are ones that a friend of mine had burnt me copies of his audiobooks, And I thought his copies were just butchered. I thought like he didn't know what he was doing when he was making them. No, that's what an abridged book is. Uh, star by star. No follow Coruscant in that in that audiobook. Um, you know, there's so much stuff that gets dropped, and you know, there's so much where I'm scratching my head wondering why. You know, why would you drop this or that? Further, now that you've got everything in the unabridged area, uh, we've learned that there are some differences. Like uh in Dark Disciple, Mark Thompson flat out calls the most Eisley Cantina, Chalum's Cantina in the audiobook. It's not in any of the, the printed forms, but only in that. Uh, aftermath, you know, Thompson changes a lot of words, uh, a lot of phrases and things that Wendig wrote. Uh, you know, he'll just change a word or he'll just, you know, it, it, it's weird. Like there have been phrases that have changed where I'm like, wait, that's not what was said because Aftermath is probably the first book where I'm sitting there listening to the audiobook and reading it along. I'm having that hard of a time staying into the book through a combination of stuff, which we'll get to when we get to Aftermath. But it was something I noticed, which made me stop and wonder, you know, how does that process go? Because when I asked Delray, you know, well, hey, how come, you know, it, it was a different word? Their answer was, well, we don't do that part of the process. You need to contact these guys over here. So I sent those guys over there the email. Haven't heard anything else back because I was curious, you know, why, why would there be a change 
in the audiobook only, but not in the advanced review copy and not in the final copy and not in the paper copy. You know, so it's like, how did that come about? Was that word Chalam's Cantina always in the copy that was sent to the audiobook people? Or did Mark Thompson just have a, a wonderful memory and remembered that reference from Legends and just slipped it in there? You know, I mean, it's one of those things I'm always curious about because I'm just now getting into that world of audiobooks through Audible. Uh, but I wish to God that they would go back and redo those older books in unabridged formats because now that you can download them digitally and you don't need the five, nine discs and all that stuff, it's a much better, much more pleasant experience. You know, having to lug around nine to 12 discs, I get that being a pain in the butt. You know, I thankfully I've only listened to one audiobook like that, but I was doing it on a long trip. Hauling all those discs around just it feels impractical. Bringing my phone around and pulling up the file, super easy. I'm also for unabridged, if at all humanly possible. I like the unabridged versions. I don't tend to listen to the audiobooks as much anymore because I'm taking notes with little post-its inside the regular books to do the little references and such for the timeline and all. But what gets me really I really like the digital download audiobooks, and I tend to buy them that way if I am going to buy an audiobook, because it is much cheaper from a cost perspective to the consumer to buy that rather than going and buying it on CD, for instance. The thing for me, though, is I want to listen to them in the car. And I've got a little thing in my Kia that lets me plug my iPod in, but my iPod is an older generation, kind of crappy one, um that I don't put the audiobook on because it takes up so much space and whatnot, so I'm usually not taking that with me in the car. My car does, however, have a CD player in it that can play MP3 CDs. So if I get an audiobook, like, I get this giant box set of dramatizations of every single Shakespeare play. Those are already on CD. I can rip that to MP3, stick them on a disc in a folder, take it in there, and have several plays all on one CD in the car because they're MP3s, not audio tracks. If I get an audiobook off of Audible or iTunes or whatever, and I'm going to listen to it anywhere other than on my computer or carrying around an iPod, which again, I don't usually do, I have to then burn it onto a disc and then rip it and then burn it to a new MP3 CD to put in the car. It's a laborious process and it winds up usually with a little bit of overlap between the end of one file and the beginning of the next. So you'll hear phrases sometimes repeat themselves, maybe a sentence or so as it goes from what was one disc being ripped to the next. Um, so to me, it depends on where I'm going to listen. If I'm going to be listening in the car, I actually would rather have it on CD or something just because I don't have to deal with all that crap to get it in there. On the other hand, if I'm going to be listening to it at home, like when I'm working on something, just play it loud on my speakers while I'm working for uh, teaching at home and all that, that's terrific. Uh, and I will do that by getting it digitally every time just because of how much cheaper it is. Now for a non-Star Wars question. I know that Nathan is a Doctor Who fan. Is Mark a new fan as well? Secondly, do you watch new Doctor Who, 2005 to the present only? Or do you watch old or classic Doctor Who, 1963 to 1989 and the 1996 movie with Paul McGann as well? Finally, who is your favorite Doctor? Either number or actor can be an acceptable answer. Because some people know the numbers, some people know the actor only. 
So for me, I'm not big into who yet. Uh, I've dabbled. I've watched only a few episodes. For me, I was mostly curious about how the doctors were switching bodies and how that process worked. Uh, I didn't want to go to a website and read about it. I wanted to kind of watch it. So I was using Netflix and finding those episodes and watching them and stuff. So I've seen a few of those, seen the transfers and this kind of thing. Uh, and then I got curious into the villains. So, uh, you know, I was learning about the uh, the statue dolls and stuff and and their eyes and you know the different robots and stuff i can't think of their names because i haven't watched the show that much uh but for me i i like tenant and uh the the one guy that was uh destro i i found his doctor who was pretty funny uh but i haven't gotten into the show enough that i'm able to sit down and watch a lot of it um and i i blame that on star wars i mean you know i'm doing a lot of other genres and stuff but when it comes to branching out and really jumping into a whole new genre i'm going baby steps into little things like you know do i'll I'll do a firefly project here or a spartacus run there there's something that's already ended something that's not continuing to go and grow because i'm afraid i'll get too deep into it like i am star wars and i already am like i gotta read this book and i got that book to read and i got this book behind that and i gotta edit this podcast and i gotta record that one and edit this one and so yeah my time is limited so i try to get in as much as i can and netflix has been very helpful tool <laughs> you know i got into doctor who a little bit uh with eccleston back when the new like revamped series whatever you want to call it back when the ninth doctor stuff started and they brought doctor who back and it was airing on sci-fi channel couldn't really get into it very well gave up by about halfway into that season which is eccleston's only season and then got back into it thanks to andrew gilbertson and others at con carolinas who had me watch a good man goes to war which is a, a matt smith Eleventh uh, Doctor episode. It was a big pivotal moment, and that got me to go back into it. So now I've watched Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, all of the Doctor Who stuff, basically from the Eighth Doctor up to present, and I've watched all of the First Doctor and about half of the Second Doctor. I was trying to go through and watch all of it, but I've gotten so sidetracked by other things. It's been a while since I went back into the Second Doctor and picked up where I left off. As for which Doctor, uh, for me, hands down, Matt Smith, the Eleventh Doctor. Eleventh Doctor is my doctor. Unfortunately, the current doctor really isn't my doctor. So my interest is really is really waning a bit. So uh, you're not a fan of the sonic glasses, huh? No, the sonic glasses are fine. I'm just not a big fan of Capaldi's version of the doctor, though I'm not sure if it's him or the writing because he's had some great moments. But for the most part, he's just been a dull doctor to me. And it doesn't help that his current companion, Clara, who's leaving the show soon, she was an interesting character when she was the impossible girl, and now she's just kind of there. I almost feel like the companions make the Doctor. Like, the banter between Matt Smith's Doctor and Amy Pond and Rory was awesome. But sometimes you'll get these combinations where, I mean, I never really felt like Clara and Eleven were quite as strong a group as pre- as the previous ones. And now we've got Clara with 12, and that's not going over as well with me. But I think that's what, from what I understand, that's kind of the thing, is that generally there will be a Doctor that is your favorite, and you'll always be judging any other portrayals of the Doctor against that person. That's why I think of the classic ones, I'm probably going to wind up liking the second Doctor more than the others, because everybody keeps saying how close that portrayal is to how Matt Smith did it for Eleven. Back to Star Wars. I've heard you mention before that you guys would love to see more Star Wars in the courtroom, and Nathan has mentioned Law and Order quite a bit. My question or questions here are these. 
Would you like to see something like NCIS on one end of the spectrum, where at the start of the episode you have your crime, murder, etc., and have the offender in custody by the end of the episode? Or would you like to see something like Broadchurch, where the entire season is the case and you don't learn the killer's identity until partway through the last episode of the season? Or would you like to see something in between, like Law and Order, where you have the catching of the killer and the trial over the course of the episode? Moving on. I have a few more points to come to before I sign out. First, Arik Jorgen, the first character you get when playing the Trooper class in the Old Republic. I can't take this character seriously because of who plays him. The reason for that is because Jorgen is voiced by Timothy Omanson, the guy who plays Lassie on Psych. Listen to the following clip and see if you agree. Got a problem, sir. Weapons malfunction. I had a couple misfires during that prison run. I think the barrel might be out of whack. Not surprising, given all the action we've seen. With your permission, I'd like to inspect the rest of the squad's ordnance, make sure everything's up to code. Looking for an excuse to go through my personal effects, are we? Maybe. There's something you don't want me to find? I've got a few things in my wardrobe that aren't exactly regulation. What you wear while you're off duty isn't any of my business, sir. Unless you make it my business. Well, those weapons aren't going to inspect themselves, sir. I'll let you think about that and whether that changes the character for you guys. If I've ruined the character of Jorgen for anyone out there, I apologize. Second, I'm not a big fan of zombies and don't get what the big deal about them is. I'm not a big horror fan and therefore will probably not ever read Death Troopers or Red Harvest. Third, I'd like a continue legend story about how Darth Andadu's holocron gets from set hearth possession, where it sits at the end of Darth Bane Dynasty of Evil, to where the one Sith find it in a tomb on Korriban, as mentioned on page 5 of Legacy 27, Into the Core. The key piece of dialogue there comes from Weirlock at the bottom of the page. I do know some of your secrets. The tomb on Korriban in which this holocron was found was not the real tomb of Darth Andadu. That much my resources showed me. Fourth. In your coverage of Vector, you wondered how Celeste could turn to Ash when Cade stabs her at the end of the Vector arc of Legacy. Could it be semi-similar to the Orbalisks, where they injected dark side power into the wearer, but could also poison the wearer if damaged? It could be in a similar vein to that. I think as far as a police procedural or a courtroom type drama for Star Wars, I'm much more interested in the court side than I am in the investigation side. But something like a Law & Order that has both would be awesome. And I do like the idea of something that's in a broader arc. Like, if this was a show, maybe give us some arcs. But if this was something done in novel form, maybe give us one case per. I really think that Coruscant Knights was leaning in that direction, but never quite went full bore in that direction because it was focusing on the Jedi angle. But I liked mm -hmm. those types of angles in the book. As for voices... Um, it didn't ruin it for me because I don't know that I heard the voice before. Um, but I do find that sometimes the voices will throw me out. Like I play a lot of Destiny, so hearing people like Bill Nye and Claudia Black in that game as easily recognizable voices tosses me out. Um, but then also, what drew me in to a large degree with Destiny was having uh, Peter Dinklage, uh, Dinklebot, Tyrion from Game of Thrones, doing the voice of. Ghost, the little robot dude that you got with you. And now that that's changed, he's been replaced by Nolan North, whose voice work I've loved. He's in all kinds of things. He's Nathan Drake in Uncharted. He really just doesn't have the gravitas to me of Peter Dinklage as Ghost. So that always kicks me out of it when the ghost is talking now. So voices can make a big difference. 
Uh, in Star Wars, what I've found when it comes down to voices kicking me out, it's less a matter of a recognizable voice as one that's not recognizable. Like an audio drama of a story with existing characters that either aren't played by the original actors or where the new actors don't sound like it. It was close enough with like Perry King as Han Solo in the audio dramas for the original trilogy, but sometimes you'll run into people trying to play Han or Leia or whoever that just don't sound like it, and that's usually when I'm kicked out. Um, as for zombies, I enjoy zombie stories when they're done well. I think Red Harvest did it well. I don't think Death Troopers did it well. It's a question of the amount of menace, so it'd be interesting to see if they ever return to that again. Uh, I do agree. Hearing the story of how the holocron of Endedu got where it was would be an interesting story, but something that we'll probably never see. So maybe just show us that in a guidebook or something somewhere. And as for the Ash thing, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Man, okay. So when it comes to the Star Wars courtroom plots, I think I'm going to go kind of more NCIS. I like... I, if I was going to have it as a Star Wars book, I like the military side versus a public side. Uh, you know, that the crime was something that happened against either the Empire or the New Republic military versus it was just a crime that happened and some constables figuring it out. Um, I, I'm the type – I prefer to have the episode, have the problem, have it found, have it wrapped up uh, all in that episode versus doing it one season at a time. Um you know, I can, I can see the advantage of both, but I would prefer having it like the one and done where each one it's contained. They move on to the next case kind of thing. I think you get more overall. Uh, when it comes to, you know, knocking you out, kicking you out, uh, you know, Nathan, you brought up something that made me think of, uh, Spartacus, you know, when it went from, uh, season one into season three and the actor for Spartacus changed because the original actor had died. It took me a while to get through that, but it wasn't until, like the fifth season or, or the, the second Spartacus actor's second or third run in there, he started to grow his beard out. Then he, he had the sound of the original guy. He looked enough like the original guy that I was to get past it. But yeah, it, it, when it kicks you out, when you have that kick out, it really does it. Now, to apply that to Jorgen, I like the character Lassiter on Psych. Uh, and so, you know, I was at first, I was like, oh, I like Lassiter. So, so let's see how this goes. Uh, but the way he played that character, it didn't quite work for me either. At times, he even almost sounded like Bruce Campbell, which I like Bruce Campbell, but I felt like it was being read. I didn't feel like it was being acted. It definitely felt like there was no emotion to those lines, and that I, I'm with you on that. That's one that will throw you out. Uh, when it comes to zombies, you know, I'm a big fan only because they're a concept that scares the ever-living shit out of me, so... <laughs> I really like that idea. The idea of any kind of plague that can turn your friend to a foe and that foe is a cannibal and wants to eat you. Uh, there's something just about that that raises the hackles on me. I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. There's something about it that really just gets to me. Um, Death Troopers. I think when I think of Red Harvest and Death Troopers, I liked some things of each of them. I think for a zombie story, Death Troopers was the better one of the two. Red Harvest was just a really cool story that took a different twist on things you know i mean uh, death troopers felt more like the classic zombie story and death troopers felt more like when you get to uh the walking dead comic and the the zombies start speaking you're like wait what that was how red harvest felt more to me whereas death troopers felt very natural felt very classic of the zombie genre 
Uh, you know, the, the continued legend story for the one Sith finally getting the holocron of Darth and Adu. I think that would be really cool in some form or fashion, or even as a, uh, legends, uh, you know, handheld game that comes onto your phone, even like, uh, that might be fun. Um, and the aspect of Vector turning her to Ash, uh, you might be right on with the aspect of, you know, like how the Obelisk did their little thing. Maybe there was some form or fashion or it had something to do with the amulet, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, kind of think of like some vampire stories. When the vampires get stabbed, they turn to Ash and all the years have caught up to them all in an instant. So maybe it had something to do like that. Now, you brought up The Walking Dead as an example of of the storytelling with zombies. May I say, just as a side note, I really enjoyed the early Walking Dead stuff on television, and it's really cool to see places around this area in it because they actually filmed a lot of it down in Noonan, which is actually where my wife works, uh, just basically down the interstate just a little bit from here. Um, and I really enjoyed the comics for a long time. But is it just me or have the recent arcs of the Walking Dead comic, really since Negan is is, is not the big threat anymore, um, and recent season plus or so of the walking dead tv show and their new spinoff fear the walking dead have they not become some of the most boring television that everybody's watching yes and no i mean we were talking about this online but i think for me i think they're bridging things from the comic again like like the, the kickoff of season six i think we're on season six of the walking dead uh i i felt like it did the no way out story justice because everything's doing a new twist on things. And in the no way out, they're like, they're in the middle of winter and a horde comes up on Alexandria and they can't get out. They're like completely surrounded. Their food's running out. It's winter time. So the crops are dying off. Some people are outside of the fence. Others are inside the fence. What do we do? And that first episode was like a long laborious version of how does the horde get to them? And now you've got the same thing. The horde's going to be surrounding Alexandria. You've got people outside the fence. You've got people inside the fence. And it's, I don't know, it's that aspect of, you know, you're dealing with two different universes and, and one is treading old ground, but trying to do it in a new different way. So, you know, I, on that one, I'm kind of like on the fence back and forth, whereas Fear of the Walking Dead has a totally different feel to it because it feels like it's more people trying to make sense of the world they're living in. Whereas the Walking Dead itself was one of those things where Rick just woke up and the world had already changed. And so it was like, well, this is the world now. Whereas Fear of the Walking Dead, it's like they're still trying to wrap their heads around the fact that things are changing and they're changing and never going to come back. And I don't think many of us, I know me specifically when I was watching it, I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, but once we got to that point where the military's presence started to pick up and you were kind of like, well, what's going on with the military? Are they good? Are they bad? Then that action came back up. But the comic, I think after the war and all that stuff and Negan got put in prison, once they did the introduction of the talking zombies, it became one of those mysteries of like, wait, what in the heck's going on? And now we're kind of exploring that. So it's feeling like, kind of like that aftermath feel of like, well, will the next two books like pick up on a lot of this stuff? Because right now I don't feel how this is tying into everything that's come before. It's just really weird. <laughs> I'm just thinking that the walking dead, I mean, the original thought was it referred to the zombies and then eventually they reveal that it's actually meant to be referring to the humans in terms of like, like they feel dead with the society around them gone and that sort of thing. And now I'm thinking that the death is going to be from boredom and walking dead is us sleepwalking basically <laughs> when watching this thing, especially you know, fear, fear, man, could you have been more of a paint by numbers societies falling apart because of zombies type story? I, 
You get to the end of the series, and there's one major character who winds up dying in that last episode, and I'm like, wow, I really wish I could have cared, but you never gave me a reason to care about any of these characters by the end. But that maybe is a is a parallel we should draw later when we start talking in another episode about, uh, what's it called? Aftermath. Okay, last audio one coming in from Jamie, and then a handful that were text uh, that you'll be hearing me read. Finally. Just wanted to send on some more show ideas. As a preface to these, I should point out that I often prefer the novel and comic coverage to some of the other stuff, depending on the subject. So, my suggestions include the Darth Bane trilogy, either as a block episode or individual episodes, the Republic Commando novels and game, doing a series of episodes on each arc of Invasion, an updated guide to parenting now that you're not restricted in episode length, Maybe hold this one until we get The Force Awakens. Maybe a look back at all the predictions and suggestions of what could be that you've made, such as from the Disney buyout episode, to name one instance. A Cinema Sin-style episode for the EU. The tour storylines. And maybe an episode on whether the story group is doing its job that you could do after the release of The Force Awakens, with a short answer here. And finally, I look forward to your continued coverage of KOTOR, Legacy, Republic, and Dark Times. Sorry if I've rambled on a bit. Keep up the good show. Jamie. You know, it's funny. I feel like some of those things we've covered only to realize that we haven't because I've talked about them on like the EU review or something before this. I think that's part of what to me worries me about going back and looking at previous coverage because I, I get it mixed up as to what we have and haven't covered. Uh, be interesting to talk about Republic Commando, especially in light of all the things that changed later with uh, uh, the Clone Wars and all. Kind of makes me wonder if it's possible to even play the game on a modern console, if there's like an emulation version that's out there, or if, uh, I don't know, maybe they put it out as a PlayStation 2 classic or something like that that could be picked up. Uh, but certainly would be interesting to take a look at those. Um, predictions, I think we'd have to go back and look, and really kind of the same thing with parenting, going back and actually looking at what we've said before, before actually going into anything else. CinemaSins type thing, I love the CinemaSins stuff, but it might be interesting and odd to try to do it with uh, the EU, per se. We'd have to kind of do a broader perspective on that, I suppose. Uh, tour storylines, uh, same thing. I, I know I've watched them all. I don't know that, that Mark's had a chance to really experience all of it, though. Mm-hmm. And the one that I know for sure that we'll do at some point is looking back at the story group, basically sort of a, okay, story group, new canon as of X amount of time. How has it turned out? How has it panned out? Has it been a worthwhile change? Has the stuff that's come out justified the changes that have happened and so on and so on. That's probably something you're right. That would probably have to hit sometime maybe early next year. Once we have a chance to actually see the force awakens and some of the other stuff surrounding it, but, uh, but a good selection of ideas there. Yeah, uh, the KOTOR Legacy and Dark Times, those are all stuff that we hope to wrap up here in the next year, year and a half. Um, you know, it it gets a little hard when, you know, there's only 12 months in the year. We got events coming out. We got the books coming out. You know, we want to try to stay kind of relative to the topics. And then we have an issue like this where we went to do one feedback and then it turns into three or four, which kind of seems to be kind of a, a trend that we do. And I'm okay with that trend. It, it just tends to put a lot of things that we were hoping to do sooner, farther back. Um, you know, cause at one point I started reading Vector Prime to start to get ready to cover that. And then of course, Force Friday came and we've got a slew of other books. So it's like, yep, that won't be happening anytime soon. 
Uh, when it comes to like books like Darth Bane, I want to say we covered that once, but I think we covered the trilogy as one and really kind of just jumped right through it. Um, that might be one we might come back to down the road and, and maybe, you know, tackle a book at a time and get some more people on. I know when we do our comics, you know, we give such an in-depth coverage that I would like to do something similar when we do the books. And that's why we've been inviting more other, you know, hosts in to cover on the books and stuff like, you know, we had, uh, we had Mike and we had Jonathan on, uh, to talk about one of the books, Dark Disciple and stuff like that. And we do a lot of that cross promotion and stuff between the second airborne shows, but it also helps to get more opinions out there because, you know, sometimes it's been so long since we read these books that there are so many things we wanted to talk about that while we sit down to record, we forget about 20 to 40 different really good plot points that, could make up a whole conversation in amongst themselves. I, I know Nathan, you know, he's talked a lot of stuff when it comes to the EU review with Andrew Loopy. Uh, but at the same time, there, I'm sure that there were lots of points that the two of them just, they didn't get to at those times that, you know, maybe it was just one of the angles that neither one of them, you know, were locked into, or maybe it was something that like, I really have a fandom on for, you know, I'm like, Oh, all about the lightsabers, you know, and, and they never talked about it. Maybe it's something we go on a tangent for 30 minutes on, you know, one of those things. So, you know, you, the aspect of going, Going back and covering something that we've covered before or, or another show has covered, you know, as part of the second airborne division, that's something that, you know, we look at as well. You know, we've got shows that cover the same topics and yet, you know, other networks will be like, well, we can't have that. We can't have two shows doing the same topic. Well, here on our network, we're not really concerned with that because the points of views are always changing. We have different people on the conversations that arise, end up taking different turns, different twists. Uh, and at the end of the day, our network's all about the conversation. And, you know, you come in, you join the conversation. If it sparks a new idea, hey, you know, you're part of the story group. Uh, getting to the story group aspect, though, like Nate said, yeah, we'll probably be covering that soon. One of the angles that I'm most curious for is I'm waiting for something that explains to us what some of the duties for the story group are. You know, they've given us the limited views of what the story group's going to be doing. We've got the general idea that they're kind of like George Lucas and Legends is kind of like the EU when he was taking it and bringing it into the Clone Wars and now everything's canon. But we don't know, you know, when it comes to like The Force Awakens, did the story group say, hey, JJ, we want you to take these plots and write your script around these plots? Or did JJ come back and say, well, this is the script I wrote. How does this work? And then they gave him, I mean, how is that working? Are they giving ideas to him or is he giving them ideas and then they're reacting to those ideas? Are they being proactive and saying, these are the points we want you to hit? They haven't given us any clarification to that. So I'm kind of, I'm holding out for that because I would like to have some of that kind of clarity when we talk about that, because I think that that's something that's important to that discussion. And I think it's important that, that we get that kind of clarity because they've been quiet about it. And, you know, December's coming up. We have The Force Awakens coming out. We're going to be watching that film before we really have a full understanding of what the story group's job really entails. And that concerns me to a degree, because what if we come to the movie and we find out that, yeah, you know, J.J. made up all this stuff and then they just decided, well, well, then they retconned ideas because, well, they didn't think of that. And J.J. created that and J.J. created this and J.J. created that. And he was doing all these things on his own and that was all fine and great. But now J.J.'s not going to be on episode eight. And I'm just throwing this out there, but let's say JJ's not on episode eight and this other director's on there and he's doing the same thing, but he's taking things in a totally different direction. I would be afraid that you're going to have basically having Troy Denning and Karen Travis doing their Mandalorian dance in a book series where all of a sudden the Mandalorians are there and the next movie comes out and that whole plot's gone. And then all of a sudden the next film comes back and they're back again. And 
and that's the angle that I worry because we haven't got that clarity. It's like, how is that working? <laughs> I would love to think that the story group has complete tight control and they're giving the ideas 100%. This is what we want. You've got some leeway here, but this is what we want. Make this happen. We don't care necessarily how you make these five points happen, but these five points have to happen in your story. Um, but they're being tight-lipped on that. This brings us into the ones that he wrote that are text rather than audio. Hey, Mark and Nathan. First, sorry for the sheer volume of feedback last time. I realize it was a lot. Hopefully this one and any subsequent ones sent before you guys go to the next set of feedback episodes won't leave Nathan struggling to catch his breath. If so, I apologize in advance. I've been reading each new story group canon novel as they come out and have enjoyed both the novels themselves and hearing your coverage of them. My favorite so far has been Lords of the Sith. Now, this is as of May because it was high on action and was an overall fast-paced read. After that comes A New Dawn, because it's been a while since I read it, I don't remember as much. But although it took a little to get into, it was still a worthwhile read. Next is Tarkin, because although it had a slow and a little confusing start, the background it gave to Tarkin was excellent. My least favorite so far has been Heir to the Jedi. The first-person narration of that novel was good, but it was a generally slow story up until the fight at the end. It was a decent enough story, but nowhere near as good as I, Jedi, which I didn't read straight through, but instead read at the same time as the Jedi Academy trilogy, using the chapter-by-chapter division found in the Star Wars timeline gold. Second, Dark Nest. I've read it a couple of times now and have enjoyed it. I don't quite see Nathan's utter hatred for the trilogy. I even think the abridged audiobook version was the second Star Wars novel I ever read. The abridged audiobook of Tattooing Ghost was the first. If you guys ever get around to doing an episode or a group of episodes on Dark Nest, I think you should try to get someone who does look on it more favorably than you guys to have a balance in the negativity and to possibly provide some rebuttal to your arguments. Third, and this is from something I posted on your Facebook page a while back as of my writing this. I recently listened to episode 16, Big 3 or Not Big 3, and noticed that you guys were talking about how Star Wars books with absolutely no familiar characters are less likely to be bought than books with EU characters slash film characters slash video game characters, Scourge being the prime example used. My question is this, how does a random book with completely original characters by let's say a brand new author sell big when, as you say, it has characters that you know nothing about and care nothing about? I think that if a book like that can sell, then a book like that with Star Wars in the name would sell better. I like your thoughts on this because it goes straight to the core of the discussion in that episode. Fourth, feedback to your feedback on my feedback. I think you were right about it taking a while to get into the proper mindset with unfamiliar voice actors slash readers. I've definitely been spoiled by the Doctor Who audio dramas that I listen to that have the original TV actors reprising their roles for the Doctors and Companions. And yes, it does all depend on getting actors who don't sound so similar that you can barely tell the difference between the two characters. As for Mark Thompson's Han, Mark is spot on. I think I like Mark Thompson over Jonathan Davis. On the subject of having two or more readers... I remember hearing that the first Darth Bane novel was being done that way with Jonathan Davis and someone else. Unfortunately, the Darth Bane audiobooks were only released digitally and were never released on CD, which was a stupid move in my opinion. In relation to your comment about some readers being able to do some voices well and some voices not well, a perfect case in point is the Revan audiobook. Read by Mark Thompson, Revan sounds like a variant of Thompson's Luke. Bastilla is an almost dead ringer for Dala, and Candorous sounds too much like a Fett and too little like Candorous from the game. One would think that he'd go to the source material like I'd assume he did for the film characters. As to Fell or Fall in Cross Current and Riptide, there's absolutely no mention of any of the Fell family. When it comes to the libraries versus collecting issue, I completely understand. I'm so sorry that your local libraries are so awful. I'm blessed to have access to an excellent county-wide library system in my area. 
As described in my previous feedback, my library system has a large collection as well as the option to request items from outside the system. I've also been a big user of my local libraries for almost my whole life and remember when the catalog was a text-based system instead of the GUI it is now. That is, graphic user interface, of course. Computer-based. A couple more things. First, having been rereading Legacy, I think it would be a perfect story to adapt as an audio drama in the vein of Crimson Empire. What do you guys think of the idea? Second, I'd love to see some more comic adaptations of novels, preferably drawn by Jan Dersimo or possibly Brian Ching. One novel that lends itself to this is Fate of the Jedi Outcast. I'd love to see the caverns beneath Kessel in comic form, or at least as images in the vein of those featured in the Essential Guides. Finally, a ponder to leave you guys with, especially Mark. If you recall, Darth Plagueis was delayed several years before it saw print. When it finally did see print, the final result was an amazing novel. Here's the ponder. Sword of the Jedi has never been officially cancelled. Will the time in between now and whenever they decide to continue Legends make the Sword of the Jedi trilogy a better story for the extra time allowed? Will it be worse for the story, or will the amount of time not have any effect on the story? That's all for now. Hopefully I haven't rambled too much. Keep up the good work with both the podcast and the timeline. Jamie. So many things there, my man. So many things. Um, You know, okay, so your list of how you like the books, uh, that that's a pretty good list. That was kind of how I was going with the newer books. Uh, now we've had Force Friday. There's another round of books. I haven't quite put those all in the way they're going. Uh, the one that I got a question for you, and hopefully you'll be able to throw some e- uh, feedback down the way for the feedback of the feedback. Uh, I Jedi, you reading that chapter by chapter through Nathan's Timeline Gold. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, did you enjoy reading I Jedi reading it that way? Um, I Jedi, you know, I've said it before. It's one of my favorite books of all time, uh, you know, and it was a first person book and I really loved it. Uh, but I read that after reading the Jedi Search trilogy, uh, the Jedi Academy books. And I always place it right after that. So I'd read those three and then go right into that one. Um, so I, and I just, I've always loved it. So I'm curious as to if going by chapter by chapter, if you still enjoyed that book or if that made the book harder for you at all. Um, that's definitely something I'm curious about. When it comes to darkness, that's absolutely the, the, you know, your, your points there is exactly why we want to bring in more people when we're covering the books. Um, that one too, I remember there were a lot of things about that book I was enjoying. I think the main thing about that that I hated the most was the aspect of going into that series. Jason Solo was a rogue Jedi and a rogue Jedi was supposed to be something better than a, a Jedi, something more than, you know, a Sith. He was supposed to be like this new order kind of thing, you know, something that was above the conflict of the Jedi versus the Sith. And then we got into that series. It was like, no, rogue Jedi is just a Jedi. That's going to go to the dark side. And then come the next series, they were like, yep. And we're putting the stamp on it. He fell. And I felt like that darkness kind of took and, and diverted things there. I really enjoyed the first two books and then we got to that last one and I felt like so much stuff was kind of wrapped up and gone back on so fast. Uh, and it felt like, you know, the flow walking and stuff was kind of reversed at that point. And it was like, wait, why are we retconning our own things? And I came to that conclusion at that point that that was when I really started to feel Denning wasn't a good closer. You know, I love Star by Star, one of my favorite books right next to I Jedi. And it's set right in the middle of the new Jedi Order. It has a great open ending. You go into Dark Journey. That's literally part the next part of the book. Uh, and Denning rocks in that scenario. And then, you know, we had Dark Nest where he was the closer. We had Legacy of the Force and, and the other one that follows that. And he was the closer on both of those. And the endings of those books 
just didn't feel as satisfactory for me. So I know that most of my issues with darkness comes around where Denning took a lot of the things. So yeah, bring an extra person in. That'll be something that helps. Um, the no big three and the big three. I think that aftermath almost kind of is an example of some of that ponder. Cause here you're, you have a book that I think a lot of people thought the big three was going to be a part of. And then when they got the book, they realized the big three weren't in it as much as they thought. And the publicity there, you know, I don't know. That could play into it. You'll know more when you get to our aftermath episode. Uh, the unfamiliar voices. I pretty much said what I, I had on that. Uh, you know, it, it gets a little weird at times. Uh, the two or more readers. I think that that, that could be fun, uh, especially if they, they did it well, especially if you had like, say, you know, a lady reading most of the female parts and stuff like that would be cool. Or having the lady as the narrator and the female parts and having a guy come in and he's just doing the male roles. Um, I think that would be cool. The fell in the fall. I, I, I got to admit that this could just be somewhere where I was thinking about something. I don't know where I got this in my head. Um, I don't even know which book anymore. Like, I don't know if it was outbound flight or if it was survivor's quest or what I could have swore that there was a character named fall F A A L who was a fell, but for some reason couldn't say his name right. And so kept saying fall and everyone thought his name was fall. And then it came out later that he was fell, but I have, I've gone back. I can't find it. I don't know where I came up with it. I thought I'd read it in a book. Maybe it was just a theory that came up in my head because of something I was reading in the book. Uh, when it, in the, the realm of comic adaptations, I think right now, especially with legends being what it is, comic adaptations would be a great way to take stories like say Darth Plagueis and rewrite them as canon. You know, there's a lot of Darth Plagueis that could still stand as canon. Uh, but right now it's a legend story and they won't be bringing that over. But you could do a comic adaptation that is canon and get around that hurdle. You know, you could take all the best ideas from Darth Plagueis, rewrite it in a new form, do an adaptation of and have it work in that regard. And I think that would be a really cool way to plumb and mine legends for some really good stories and some really good characters that you want to bring over, you know, your Mara Jades and stuff like that. Some characters that aren't necessarily going to impact where Canon is going now, but we're around, uh, sort of the Jedi and the reference you make with Darth Plagueis. That is my favorite reference because that is the one that gives me the most hope. And the fact that Jennifer Heedle would say, never say never, uh, you know, and, and Shelly Shapiro would say that and that they were fans of legends. Uh, I truly think, that there is a precedence here that if golden keeps working on that story to a degree in the way that Lucino was doing with Darth Plagueis, uh, you know, giving him more time to flesh it out, more time to think of ideas. Legends isn't growing. So it's not like legend stories that are coming out now are going to conflict with anything that golden's going to have to work into the plot. That isn't a problem for her. So in that regard, I think that, the time here, the only thing we're really waiting for is the public perception and the public realization that, yes, there were other books. Yes, there were other comics. Yes, there are their own universe. And yes, they're no longer going to impact these films. Once everybody recognizes that, I think you can move on and you can have it as its own universe. And at that point, it would be the perfect time to have Golden come back in, who I honestly, I think she's got ideas. I think she's got plots. I think she's got a rough draft. I think that that is the best thing to do. And I think that that 
I think that's the plan. I think they're not being vocal about that plan because there's too many people that will react one way or the other, even though I would love for them to be like, yeah, we got a plan. And within 10 years, you're going to see more legend stuff in print. It'll be its own alternate universe, but it'll be within 10 years. You can have fans that are going to be pissed with that answer. You can have fans that are pissed at all. doesn't matter if they're coming or not. There's just going to be fans that are pissed. It's a delicate subject right now. And I think they're taking the politically correct route. They've got new films coming out and they don't want to piss off Star Wars fans any more than they already have. Uh, but I think if you get Give it enough time, you're going to be okay. A lot of stuff there. Uh, Darkness, to me, for what it's worth, the thing I had trouble getting into with Darkness was the bugs. I mean, for some reason, it's very, very difficult for me to picture the Killix, and uh, I think the further away you get from humanoid species in Star Wars, the harder it is for me to connect with the characters and connect with what's happening. Instead of it being sort of a one-sided story, I want to see the bad guys and think of them as individuals and mm-hmm. and see their motivations and such, which I really couldn't with the Killix. Uh, as for Sword of the Jedi, I would love to see Sword of the Jedi eventually get made and have it be stronger for all the time, though that does put more pressure on Christy Golden, if that were to be the case, because then imagine the hype. I mean, there's already going to be at least a little hype surrounding it. Now, huge hype surrounding it. You don't want it to be another thing where there's this massive amount of hype, and it turns out not to meet those expectations, as we've talked about previously uh, in these feedback episodes with other subjects, and we will eventually talk about with Aftermath. As for... Audio dramas, I love audio dramas. I'd love to see more Star Wars audio dramas. I'm not sure if adapting old material is the best idea, unless they're going to do like Mark said and adapt it to make this new version canon. If you're going to be putting all that effort and money into it now, especially if you're going back into Legends stuff, give us something new. Give us a new story. Continue Legends that way. Fill in some of those gaps with short audio productions of maybe half an hour or less in length. Short stories done as audio, Cheaper to produce, continue legends, et cetera, et cetera. So, I don't know, I like the idea, but I'm not sure if I'd, I'd probably use it if I was making the decisions for the company, uh, making decisions to make it go that particular direction. So down to three. Shorter, he says, from July. Hello, Mark and Nathan. Couple quick things here. First, an addendum to one of my previous emails. Actually, I believe it's the audio one. I mentioned Darth and Dedu's holocron and how it gets from Set Hearth to Korriban to be found by the One Sith. I'd completely forgotten about Quinlan Voss finding it in the Republic comics, which you really should continue at some point. My new question, how does it, the holocron, get from Sedharth to Korriban where Voss finds it, and how does it get from Voss back to Korriban where the one Sith find it? Second, been reading Dark Disciple, and I'm thinking it makes the top of the new canon novel list. One thing that confuses me, not about the novel itself, by the way, is why the excerpt in the back is for the Battlefront novel, which comes out in November, and not for Aftermath, which comes out in September. Also, somewhere, either in an episode or in one of your posts about the novel, you mention the voices you hear when reading. Because I didn't watch much of The Clone Wars, Season 1, the film, and a smattering of episodes here and there, I don't have the show's voices in my head when reading, but instead mostly have the film voices in my head. For Voss, I don't know who's voicing him. I couldn't even begin to guess at that. But for Ventress, I hear Callio's voice, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's been a while, the first Imperial agent companion in The Old Republic. She's a Ratataki as well. Finally... Been rereading New Jedi Order. Was almost done with Vector Prime when Dark Disciple came in, so I finished that and moved on to the new stuff. However, if you read through Vector Prime carefully and knowing what the future brings, you can see hints of Jason's fall even here. Which, considering the idea of Kytus didn't even exist when Jason was supposed to die, is actually really good to have hints of something down the road that wasn't supposed to be down the road. Anyway, keep up the good work. Looking forward to the next edition of the timeline, if it isn't out already by the time you guys get to another feedback episode, which is basically what's happening. May the worlds of Star Wars be never-ending. Jamie. 
Man, that new Jedi Order reference, because I was I was just rereading Vector Prime as well. And I was noticing that too, that now that things were done, and not just that, but the prequels were still coming out when Vector Prime came out. And so the aspect of the Jedi Council, what they were doing and how they were being perceived with the government and stuff, like you know, we the readers at that time didn't even really know exactly how the prequel Jedi Order was set up. And so like Jason's reactions to Luke setting up the council and all that stuff, like it was really weird rereading it now after the prequels are, you know, almost a decade over. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that is it was it was just like reading a whole new part to it. I was like, wow, that's something I hadn't even thought about before. Uh, your reference to Darth Andrew's holocron and Voss uh, having found it and how did he get back onto Korriban from Voss finding it on Korriban. And it makes me wonder was that what Warlock's reference was? The false tomb. Maybe Voss found the false tomb in the false version of Darth Andu's holocron. And maybe the holocron never actually left Korriban, and that was what the one Sith found was the actual one. I guess what I'd chime in on that is about the preview thing. Um, yeah, the preview was Battlefront as opposed to Aftermath. But keep in mind, Aftermath didn't have any advanced reader copies sent out. They sent out a finished version uh, that we received, but it wasn't sent out until after the book itself was already out on Force Friday. There were very few excerpts released, and the excerpts that were released were heavily criticized. There were flashpoints because of present tense. So whether it was to prevent spoilers, or to keep the hype from blowing up in their face, or what, it seems like Del Rey purposely limited the amount of material getting out there preview-wise for Aftermath. So that said, it makes sense that they would have included Battlefront. But yeah, you would have expected under normal circumstances that it would have been Aftermath being previewed, not Battlefront. But not so much this time. Two to go. Hey guys, listening to your coverage of Lords of the Sith and I'm wanting to weigh in on a couple of things. Again, sorry for the strain on your voices and the sheer amount of feedback this time around. It's okay. I'd be reading it whether it was yours or somebody else's, so it's okay to read it. But I really like the fact that you sent in the audio, just as an aside. You should do feedback episodes more often than three or four times a year. Don't we freaking know it? Anyway, I'm a born-again Protestant Christian and believe that homosexuality is a sin. Please don't start bashing me and saying, how dare you? I'll still love the person, be they gay, lesbian, etc. I won't approve of their chosen lifestyle, but I will accept them as a person. That said, though I may not agree with gay characters and won't include them in anything I make on religious principle... I do agree that the inclusion of Moff Moore's lifestyle choices in the novel were expertly done. If there are going to be more of these types of characters, I'd rather have it be a passing mention than an in-your-face moment. Second, you mention in the episode he happens to be referring to that the old 80s Marvel Star Wars alludes to Han having a relationship with a black female, uh, Katya Mbwele is who he's referring to, and no one batted an eye about the fact that she was black. I think that's because the times were different. The internet either didn't exist or was brand new and therefore wasn't the big instant spoilerific, if that's even a word, I believe it is, news slash speculation source that it is now. Then you heard about things like that and it would probably stay local. I'm only in my early 20s, so I wasn't actually around then. I would never blow into such a big slugfest that we have now. Then, hey, did you hear about so-and-so or such-and-such? Now? Han has a black wife? How awful! Or, so-and-so in this new book is gay? What? That's awesome slash horrible slash etc. Finally, you mentioned that Han's ex might have been Lando's sister. 
Could it be that Finn from Episode 7 is Han's son that he never knew about, and Rey is Han and Leia's daughter, so that when the two meet, they're actually half-siblings? Just throwing that out there. I have no idea what Lucasfilm's plans are going forward. It's just food for thought. So keep it up, and continue to have fun. Jamie. Uh, you just blew my mind. Um, you know, you gave me a whole bunch of other points, but that last one has my jaw hanging. <laughs> I've thought about Finn being Han's kid because of the sauna solo angle, but Ray being Han's also, that Han's both their fathers, <laughs> that's an angle that I hadn't thought of, I'm not upset with, and I'd almost be tickled to see it. <laughs> Cue Maury Povich and Jerry Springer. You are the father. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did what to your sister? Like, <laughs> like it is, this could be some serious drama here. Wow. Like, yeah, that, that, that have, really, yeah. wow. Have, have Finn and Ray kind of have an attraction going. Turns out that they're half siblings or whatever. And you continue the Star Wars thing of siblings tending to, to want each other. Although then you know that somewhere out there in internet fandom, as he alludes to, there'll be somebody saying, well, they're only half brother and sister, so it's kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now going back to Lords of the Sith, uh, and you're weighing in, uh, and your, your angle on that, you know, I, I I'm assuming it's the, uh, love the sinner angle. I liked Moff Moore's being lesbian, and I think the thing that I really liked the most about it was that it was an Imperial. I felt that by making an Imperial character an LBGT angle gives more weight to it in general. Like, you know, Aftermath has it, and for the most part, it seems like most of the people that are that way are rebels. Granted, there is a Imperial character, but I don't believe that Imperial character... I, I, I'm pulling a, it's a Lumia, uh, Lumia or Lamaya and, and there's a lie. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that Imperial character in Aftermath was telling the truth. I think he was saying it because he was a speciesist and he didn't want to say, you're not my type. Uh, so he said, you're not my type in a totally different way. But I really like the idea that, that Moff Moore's being a high powered Imperial. You know, I, I, I think that that does more for it in general because I, I did kind of get the feeling like, well, so far all the, all of them are, you know, they're all the rebels. So it's, it's still like, it's like not the perceived okay side of things, you know, like they're still the ones that are the outlaws and stuff. And of course, so the outlaws are the ones that are doing it. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, but having the empire have it. I don't know. I felt like it gave more credence to the movement in our real life by having an imperial, uh, regime being okay with it, I guess. Yeah, I think, again, it was diversity, possibly for diversity's sake, but not done in a heavy-handed way, so it wound up panning out fine. Uh, it treated her just like any other character, any other human being. Uh, I do agree with Mark that it did carry a little bit more weight for me, because in canon, we haven't really seen the heavy species, this heavy bigotry of the Empire but we've really got that hammered into us over decades in the Legends continuity. So seeing the Empire being where some of these characters are coming in that are gay characters or women in some cases, yeah. it, it just, it's shocking. But at the same time, because it's so different than the Legends continuity, but it would make sense in this huge cosmopolitan galaxy far, far away. I like that it wasn't in your face. There's several gay characters in Aftermath, none of them really in your face except for one moment and although I would disagree with Mark, I find it interesting he thinks it was a lie. I think it was just there as a punchline, and it may even be the whole reason why that character was made gay in the first place was for that conversation and that punchline. Yeah, that's um, what I think. 
So, so I don't know. I mean, I just, I like the idea of treating people as people and it doesn't really matter who they are as long as they're not, they're not making it a flashy thing of, oh, hey, look, this character's gay. Look at us, how, you know, politically correct we are. Or look, this character's a woman. Look, this character is, uh, black, Asian, whatever. Um, look at how completely and utterly uh, uh, tolerant we are in this era of changing social norms and so forth. Well, on the realm of tolerance, you know, I, I want to touch on the aspect of the internet and reactions. I think that there is a lot of clickbait titles and links that are adding to the fan reaction. You know, you mentioned, you know, oh, oh, Han's wife's black. Oh my goodness. There are literally some websites that put that as the link and they're just like his wife's what? Like you've got people out there fanning the flames of hate regardless. And they're using those clickbait titles to really kind of push that, you know, oh, I got to get more clicks. So what's the most, you know, charged title I could use out there right now? And you know, those titles come out there and people are seeing those titles and whether the title is actually what the content of the article is, doesn't matter because most people are just sharing the title. They're not going into that link. They're just sharing it and everybody's sharing that same link. And so everyone's under the assumption like, oh, well, you know, well, this guy's got to be a bad thing because everybody's just coming to the reaction of it. It's a bad thing, you mm-hmm. know? You do have to wonder though, I'm wondering at what point with Star Wars we start to see an oversaturation of the diversity for diversity's sake thing, or what seems like it, where it's not a character trait that really plays into the story. It's more just a, hey, we're going to make this character, uh, you know, male, female, black, white, whatever, just to have a more diverse cast. Because I'm sitting back thinking about it, and most of the new female characters that we've gotten in Star Wars in a while, in the new canon, have been black females, right? We have uh, Ray Sloan turns out to be a black female. Nakari Kellen, Luke's love interest and heir to the Jedi, is. Now we have Sana Solo. Uh, and it, it's almost like Fox, right? If, if you watch television, I, I watch ho- stuff on Hulu, but I follow a lot of the science fiction stuff that Fox does. And Fox seems to be in this mindset that if you're going to have a police officer coupled with sort of a weird out of their element type partner that happens to be a guy the police officer must be a black woman i.e sleepy hollow and minority report at what point do you hit a point where there's like an oversaturation in one direction and all of a sudden you're not seeing for instance in star wars maybe not a bunch of new prominent white women characters um or, or new prominent black male characters. I don't, I'm not even sure that Shara, I, I, it's hard to tell because of the way the art is, but I'm not sure if Shara Bay and Kes Dameron, the parents of Poe Dameron, are both white characters in Shattered Empire, which would be interesting given that Poe Dameron is played by Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac, a white guy. So, you know, it's, I, I've, I find it very interesting to watch as social times change. We've talked about this plenty before. As social times change in the real world around us, how that's reflected in the media around us. And Star Wars is certainly somewhere that right now, especially as they're launching a whole new continuity, we can see those effects and compare them to social norms and effects of those back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and earlier 2000s. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. I, if I thought I could do it justice, I would write a book on it, but I really don't <laughs> think I could do it justice. We almost wonder if it's got to be that point where okay, guys, we've taken it too far. We've got one white character in this whole book. It's just one. And and, and unfortunately, it's a hermaphrodite. As I said on Facebook the other day, Wookiee lives matter. Yeah. Unless you're Palpatine. All right, last one. 
Finally from August. Wow, we're way behind. Hi, Mark and Nathan, or is it Nathan and Mark? Been listening to the second Skywalker Strikes episode, number 180, and want to comment on the topics of Fett, Kenobi's Journal, and Sana Solo. First, on the topic of Fett, I've never been that big of a Fett fan. I'm much more of a generalized Mando fan. That said, I think the point at which I really started liking Fett was in the pages of Legacy of the Force. I think that was the point where Fett became more human and less overused badass. Second, on the topic of Kenobi's journal and being a good opportunity for a canon Jedi path, if I was the story group, I'd wait to release such a title until after Episode 7 so that it can have notes from Luke, Finn, Rey, and maybe even Leia. That would make a bit more sense and allow it to fill in bits of background for those characters in the currently empty space between film trilogies. It also might be a chance to drop hints about Episode 8. Finally, on the topic of Sana Solo, both the idea of Lando's sister and or Lando's lover are good ideas. The Falcon as a dowry is another good idea. I believe the second anthology film is supposed to be a young Han Solo story. If we were to see this, that would be the place. Plus, some of this might show up in the Lando comic series, hopefully. This is, of course, written before the comic series actually came out. I look forward to seeing future Marvel comic stories down the road, and once the trade paperbacks come out, actually reading them. Who knows? This might be the next Republic. Keep up the good work. Jamie. You know, when it comes to Fett, I am actually kind of in the same boat. I really liked Fett's character from the New Jedi Order and beyond. And granted, New Jedi Order, he was only in, what, uh, Practical Man, which was the short story that launched the New Jedi Order. Well, it didn't launch it, but it was set at the launch point of the New Jedi Order. And then he had, I think, a reference in the Unifying Force or somewhere close to the end of that where he just happened to be one of the guys at the end helping on at one station. Heck, that could have been even in the Force Heretic trilogy. I'm not exactly sure. But he only had a very limited role. But yeah, it was the later Fett. I really dug Fett getting into Fett as he was kind of embracing his Mandalorian heritage or trying to find a way to embrace it. Uh, And the Santa Solo angle, I am really excited as to what they're going to do with that. I just... I'm kind of afraid that in the end it's going to be just a, they did it for sales or they did it to boost interest in the comic. And that's an approach that while it works, I find it too gimmicky for star Wars. I don't like those kind of approaches because I feel like they're just, it's the equivalent of for walking dead fans of cutting off Rick's hand in the comic and then realizing that was a mistake and then leaving the hand in the other one. (laughs) I guess on the points here um, for Fett, I've never been a huge fan of Boba Fett, I've always thought that he was kind of... I mean, I was a fan, I guess, uh, correction, I was a fan of him as a kid, because I had the toy, and the toy was so much different than the others, and it was just badass looking. But Fett always felt to me a lot like Darth Maul. Dude, he's so cool! Why? What do you see in the films that makes him so cool? With with Maul, at least you got the cool lightsaber duel. We didn't really get much of that with Fett. Um... I like that they eventually developed Fett, and I do think that it was cool seeing him in Legacy of the Force, not so much because it made him more human, but it put him out of his element. He had to be a leader, and a father, and grandfather, he just, these were not roles he was used to, so it was kind of a fish-out-of-water thing, and we really got to see more about him. Um, that said, I'm curious where they go with Boba Fett now in Story Group canon, because remember, Story Group canon seems to be telling us that Jango Fett was not a real Mandalorian. He just happened to have Mandalorian armor. By extension, that should mean that Boba Fett is not a real Mandalorian either. 
just a guy with Mandalorian armor and apparently he must find another helmet somewhere because they are saying that, yes, the one that he blew up in, I guess it was a season two, a season finale episodes of the Clone Wars really was Jango Fett's helmet that he blew up. So I don't know. I'm curious where they go with him now. I don't want to see him just used as the silent character that he comes in and we're just supposed to assume he's a badass because he's Fett. Give yeah. us a reason to feel like that. Um and I, now I will say that, just going back to Fett in Star Wars, I do find it amusing that in both Weapon of the Jedi and in the Star Wars series with Skywalker Strikes, two of the times that we see Luke battling and calling on the Force at all, he's been blinded by some kind of flashbang or something. Which is, <laughs> no, I mean, come on. Um, second, Kenobi's Journal. I think it's an interesting thing to sort of open up telling new stories as filler stories within the ongoing Star Wars series. Hopefully there'll be something that are solid and maybe give us a real time frame for them instead of this big ambiguous time frame of, well, I guess Luke looks like a certain age on Twitter to give us some sense of when the story takes place. Um, I think it'd be cool to see that, you're right, as like a Jedi path type of thing, but I wonder how it could sort of separate itself from Jedi Path. I wonder if too many people would be expecting the stories in it to be the ones showing up in the Marvel series. Otherwise, it won't be really Kenobi's Journal. It had to be like a volume two or something of Luke having volume one. Uh, and I do agree that that's something that should probably wait till later, maybe even after episodes seven, eight, and nine to get some other uh, notes put into it by other characters. As for Sana Solo, uh, yeah, I would agree that if we're going to see her in a film, it would definitely be that Han Solo film. It seems to me that, that one of the coolest things to sit back and wonder now is which characters are we running into in the other media that are going to show up on film. It, it's always been seeing it the other way around. Like, oh, look, Poe Dameron is in the film. Oh, look, here's his parents in Shattered Empire. Ha ha, we get it. But doing it the other way around, introducing a character in a book and having them then show up on film as a character we didn't already know was going to be in the film, that will be awesome seeing that type of thing happen because it's something new with this whole level playing field of everything is equally canon. Um, but I don't know. I don't know when we're actually going to see that or if Santa Solo could be a character that we would see like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we didn't really get that at all in the Lando series, though it had its own twists every now and then that were somewhat interesting. Um, as for any of these series becoming the next Republic I don't know. I think the jury's still out on that. And I think that as they are getting into their second and heading towards the third arcs and such, that's what's really going to be a game changer because we'll be seeing these stories come together more, seeing fruition of stories. And we've already seen with regular Star Wars, a change of artist after the first arc that is severely, I think, hindered the visual style compared to the awesome visual style that we got in that first arc. How much is Marvel really going to dedicate the resources of their most talented people to this series to keep it of a quality level and a storyline progression that we as fans will now start to come to expect based on those first arcs. Yeah, you know, and the only other character that runs to my mind of started in a book and a comic is the heir. Uh, he seems to be the only one that has made that jump because he started out in the book and then he made his way onto Rebels. But even that isn't the case because Zare Leonis was designed for Rebels and then they gave him the spinoff book series. Ah, so he just – the book happened to come out first before the episode then. Yeah, okay. like, like I want to see someone who's actually created for a spinoff that then is like, ooh, cool, and pulled into it. Kind of like Ayla Secura being created for Republic – or before it was called Republic, just regular Star Wars volume, whatever, and yanked over into it. I want to see a character like that 
that is purposely seated this time instead of being a character that's, you know, like George Lucas goes, oh, look, that character looks cool. I'm sorry. It's you're only picking the blue Twi'lek dressed unlike other Jedi. You're basically saying she's hot and you want to put her in the movie. You want to find an actress to dress like that? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, and, and with Clone Wars, you have a thing for the ghetto booty thing. What the hell? Um, <laughs> but but I kind of wonder um if we're going to see that sort of thing or if so much of the focus is still on what's going on with the films that their way of thinking is tending to be let's seed someone into the canon who's already planned for a film as opposed to, you know, maybe getting a character that Marvel creates and then saying, wow, this is a really cool character. Let's bring them into this anthology film or let's bring them into episode nine or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious about how that's all going to play, but I don't know. We'll see. See, for me, the odd tangent here would be like in the latest, I, I think it was uh, Star Wars number 10, you know, what if a character we see at the end of that, what if that Gungan was Jar Jar Binks? And I only bring this up because for the first time ever in my life, I was like rooting for a character to be Jar Jar Binks. And I was like, that is really odd for me as, a, as someone that doesn't really care for Jar Jar. Then I'm like looking at one panel and the guy talks like Jar Jar, but does not look like Jar Jar. And the fact that he does not look like Jar Jar is enough for me to hope to God that this character is Jar Jar. I'm like, please, I just want to know how he loses the eye. Come on. <laughs> I, and I think we were all more excited to see that Gungan showing up than we were for Dengar a panel later. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Like, oh, it's Dengar. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully I'm not hearing him in my head as Simon Pig. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to fire off about a past episode, send us an email directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars canon universe or the Legends one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within one year, that's 12 whole months, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Sing. Thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. And we'll get to another feedback episode before many months go by. Odds are, that's probably the case. Don't!
Plugging the headphones back in. You may take this first, of course, and I am muting. If I actually got the audiobooks, I wouldn't be too concerned. But as I get all my audiobooks from my library, then that presents a problem. Right, plug my headphones in. You can take it, but let me plug the headphones in, turn it down, and then. Oh! Uh, muting. 10. Holy sh. We're at 130. 10. Third. And this is from something I posted on your Facebook page a while back as of my writing this. I recently listened to the episode. I almost got through that without messing up. First of all, the order that the four emails were sent was in the order that they were meant to be read. I have no idea which one. Uh. uh let me just skip the first of all part, okay? Yeah. I think the point at which I really started liking Fett was in the pages of the Legacy of the Jedi. No, it's Legacy of the... You know, he says Legacy of the Fett, so I was trying to change it, and I fucked it up, too. And the... In the, the fuck, 